You're listening to Build for Impact, brought to you by MarketScale, with your host, Daniel Hewitt. Today, I'm going to talk to you uh, with the audience about something that's very timely and also very important, Uh, something that's just been developed and just published, the 2020, well, health safety rated uh, building certification. So the Well Health Safety Rating is an evidence-based, third-party verified rating focused on operational policies, maintenance protocols, emergency plans, and stakeholder education. It's an engagement to address uh, a post-COVID-19 or, or any pandemic for that matter uh, environment now and, in, and also to address broader health and safety-related issues into the future. It's really uh, got... Uh, several key things that it looks at, it, you know, mentioned operational policies, adoption of policies and procedures to facilitate a healthy and safe workplace or facility, maintenance protocols, uh, implementation of facilities management and maintenance protocols designed to reduce the risk of infectious disease transmission. Of course, this is something that we're all looking to try to do and also try to educate and inform other people on how to do. Emergency plans. You know, one of my pillars is resiliency. And without uh, an emergency plan, you really haven't got a resiliency uh, plan in place. So development of emergency plans and protocols that when applied help to safeguard your building and the users, most importantly. And then also really to get a buy-in of any kind of plan or, or policy, what we really need is stakeholder engagement and education, regular communications, education, signage, information uh, and shared information that capture important updates, activities in those informations. And, and really where this all came from uh, was uh, an, an initiative by the International Well Building Institute, IWBI. They formed a task force, the IWBI. I task force on COVID-19 and other respiratory infections, uh, prevention and preparedness, resiliency and recovery. I was fortunate enough to be in th- to be selected to be on that group, and it eventually grew to about 600 people globally: public health experts, virologists, government officials, academics, business leaders, architects, designers, building scientists, real estate professionals. Uh, and, and this started in March of 2020, and for uh, slightly more than six weeks, we really focused deeply on gaining institutional knowledge uh, on on what happens and what causes uh, the spread of of diseases and pathogens within buildings and around buildings and between people. Look to WHO, the Center of Disease Control, and other entities to help inform that. We looked at the well building standard as it was version two, the the beta form that's that's out there for people to take a look at and and certify their buildings. And we we actually divvied up a subset of evidence based strategies adapted for facilities operations and management from the greater well-building standard. And then we also had uh, the, the benefit of well-advisories, our industry experts uh, to provide stuff, you know, our con- well-concept advisories, research advisories, and so on. And, and I'm grateful that I have a, a great relationship with and great interaction with International Well-Building Institute 
in addition to being a well-accredited professional, I'm also a member of the Global Wealth Faculty who educate people on the International Well-Building Institute's programs, how to uh, adopt them and make them part of what your your facilities and your plans and your future are and, and what the benefits really are. So why is this uh, this rating uh, important and what, why does it matter now? Well, it's created in response to our pandemic and it consists of operational interventions that can be made to help mitigate uh, the spreading uh, of these things, including, you know, this, these five key themes covered within the International Well-Building Institute's Well-Building Rating. And, and those five key things are focused on cleaning and sanitation procedures, emergency preparedness programs, health services resources, air and water quality management, and then finally, stakeholder engagement and communication, which we mentioned earlier. You you need that buy-in and you also need to be able to share and also be an example uh, of what people should know as best practices to follow in their daily life. Uh, in, in really, uh, to diverge for just a second, I have one project that about 200,000 people a year see, and, and it's really rewarding to know that that project inspires people to emulate it. And that's something that we have to do, especially in our response to this pandemic, and any pandemic for that matter. Because if we don't, we don't have a resiliency response. We're not, we're not preparing people for it, you know. So this, this needs to be flexible, of course. Uh, it's got to be applicable for large and small organizations alike and all facility types. Uh, you know, you pursue strategies that, that, uh, align with your specific needs and goals. And, and then you adjust, uh, you know, your approach to each of these things to, to make sure it's there. It's got to be scalable. It's got to work in individual projects as well as portfolios. And we've specifically put in protocols and made sure that the program is going to be able to be scaled across multiple properties with the ability to do streamlined documentation pathways uh, to get it there. We, you know, in order for it to have teeth and, and be worth something, it's got to be verified. So it's anchored in a third party document review and annual verification policies, protocols, and strategies. And, and that is done by, uh, you know, well professionals that actually validate that the building is actually performing. You know, there's in-person stuff to actually check on the performance. And then, you know, um, in order for this program to be great, IWBI has made it very accessible um, based on, uh, you know, pricing so that it's not a huge uh, burden to, to get there. So, you know, um, I'll really quickly give you an idea. The path to get there is you enroll, uh, you look at what's, what's going on in your building. How can you align? You customize your approach to get there. Then you upload your documentation for review by GBCI, the, the third party entity that's going to oversee that, uh, the document review. And then we find out if you have actually achieved a well health safety rating uh, for your facility. And then annually you renew this, uh, you know, so the applicability uh, is for stuff that 
that we as individuals are worried about going back to and occupying and being in safely. And those things include right at the top of the list, sports and entertainment venues that normally have people very tightly packed. And, and how do we make sure that we can, can deal with something like that uh, in a manner that does its very, very best to mitigate any kind of pathogen response and, and negative effects. Um, things like movie theaters, again, have been shut down for a while. They're looking at strategies to uh, basically get you back in a theater without having to wear a mask, although we'll likely see people wearing masks initially. And then, you, you know, you're going to have spacing so that you maintain social distance. Um, you know, people are afraid to go to hotels and resorts uh, simply because they don't know if the pro- protocols are in place to ensure that that the best practices are followed in order for them to feel confident that, that it's safe for them to stay there. And, and this certification and, and the, the, the guidance per- behind it gets you there. Uh, other stuff that you look at, things like restaurants, you, you know, uh, where you want to go and relax and have dinner, enjoy time with friends and family, um, but also be safe. You know, really important places like education facilities. How do we ensure that we can have safety um, within those things? Retail spaces. It seems like we've seen a lot of uptick in retail spaces uh, with regards to safety and protocols, we see the social distancing stickers on the floors. We see it set up so that you go up and down aisleways in a grocery store, for example. They have one-way labels on the floor so that you, you follow sort of an orchestrated path to get through those spaces where you're, you're going to minimize your, uh, confluence of people and, in, in interactions. Um, and then, you know, we work in offices. How do we make those places safe and able to be occupied? Really, really important stuff. You know, industrial uh, facilities are probably similar to offices. You know, typically the density of, ocu- uh, of occupants in an industrial facility is less, but, but that also matters. And then, you know, we talked about, resi- we didn't talk about residential, but when we look at multifamily residential and condominiums and so on, what do you do? You know, four people step into an elevator and stand in, in opposite corners facing into the corner. Is that the best approach? Certainly, we know that that's one of the worst environments. The elevator in, in, a, in a multifamily property is one of the worst uh, environments to be in if you're worried about airborne transmission of pathogens and exactly why you need to make sure you wear a mask every time you step into an elevator. And and I'm saying that based on science. I'm not saying that based on opinion. I, I also believe opinion-wise that that's important for us to do. Um, and, and then, you know, so to give us a really quick overview of this within, uh, you know, to relate it back to the International Well Building Institute's well rating system, we have some stuff that, that actually aligns uh, between the two. And with that cleaning and sanitation procedures, you know, we have to basically try to do a supportive hand washing. We reduce um, surface contact. Improve cleaning practices. And when I say improve cleaning practices, it's not like we were doing something wrong. We're, we're validating the protocols that are the very best practices to ensure that we mitigate and eliminate pathogens in the workplace. 
and then we select preferred cleaning products. In the last several months, I can't tell you how many products I've analyzed between uh, liquid stuff, between 72% and 75% alcohol-based cleansers, between bleaches and other things that, that can uh, provide, you know, certainly provide the ability to remove pathogens, but then leave you with a, another negative as as an after effect. Um, you know, we've we've seen uh, stuff where you mix it. You know, the two things that are catalysts, and when they come together, they make your 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 uh, constituent cleaning component that uh, is valid for only X amount of hours to use, but it's very effective at getting rid of pathogens. We've seen I don't know two thousand kinds of UVC lighting. And where you can apply it and where you can't apply it. So selecting those preferred cleaning products is something that we could spend a whole program on. And if there's demand from the audience for Build for Impact, we'll certainly do that. The next big level that we move into is emergency preparedness programs. And remember, I mentioned this should be part of anybody's resiliency program. And if you don't have one, you've not considered a resiliency response for what you're doing. So, you know, get pen and paper and get started doing your emergency preparedness program. Develop your emergency preparedness plan. Create your business continuity plan. How do you go about doing business if all of a sudden you've got a, a, a situation where you've, you've been uh, contaminated by pathogens. And I can use an example of a pharmacy that had that happen where somebody tested positive, a couple of members of the pharmacy tested positive for COVID. They didn't know how bad it was. They shut the pharmacy down for a month. Imagine the pharmacy you go to being shut down for a month. How do you go about getting your medications, especially in, in this great time of confusion? So, you know, creating this business continuity plan is, is really an important resiliency response as part of your emergency preparedness plan. You know, plan for your healthy reentry. And that's super important. How do we validate that the, the facility is capable of supporting people in it when we need to return? Um, you know, provide the adequate emergency resources. Are they there now? Were they there? The really great thing about me being an auditor and doing commissioning and being very active in validating the performance of green buildings globally over the years is I've always seen uh, this is one of the audit things that I do. And, you know, in the vast majority of the facilities uh, that I visited, you share the concepts with people, they realize how important it is, and then they start to adopt it. And we see in the final turnover of the building that there's, there's a, uh, you know, emergency resources that are there. Even the ability for you to have your yellow binder that lets you know by law what stuff you need to put in it with material safety data sheets um, as as a minimum thing that you have to have within your facility, you know, and then move on to further and further augmenting those programs. Bolster your emergency resilience. Like I kept uh, mentioning earlier, resilience is one of the key things that you need to do. It's a, it's a pillar. It's something that's valid and important for you in any kind of sustainability initiative. Then we look at health service resources. In, in within the Well Building Institute's Well uh, Standard, we look at, at stuff related to that. 
So how do we go about providing sick leave? How do we provide essential sick leave to anybody? And we need to do this because if somebody has symptoms or they're, or they're symptomatic, we don't want them sharing um, viruses and we don't want them being exposed to viruses if they're potentially weakened. So it's something that we need to address. Uh, and make sure that we've got it taken care of. You know, um, providing health care benefits and health benefits. What do we do to support people in a, in a longer term? You know, supporting mental health recovery. We've all been locked up. We've all been, uh, you know, taken away from a regular protocol starting in March. I went on lockdown on the 8th of March. I was in New York City with 40,000 people a week prior to the whole thing exploding. I was in New York City when the first case, uh, the first death from COVID was reported happening in Westchester County on, on a Thursday, left New York two days later. Uh, and, and really, uh, at that point, I was cognizant of what I needed to do, and uh, in, in my family was as well. And we purposely uh, set ourselves up providing uh, rare, very stringent protocols to keep us from potentially impacting anybody else. Um, and we saw this adopted in, in some way, shape, or form in a greater or lesser intensity in other places around the country and around the world. You know, we promote flu vaccines. Uh, if you've got a decent healthcare program, it normally covers your flu vaccines. And why do you want that? You want to build the antibodies to help you fight these different pathogens you're going to see. Once you have the antibody, then, you know, it can last a year. It can last a lifetime, uh, depending on, on what you, you've been hit with. Um, and, and when we get there, we, we know that we're developing a grander scale immunity, uh, which is super important. Um, under health service resources, promote a smoke-free environment. I can't stress how important it is to make sure that you can't smoke in the facility. Any LEED certified facility, you cannot smoke in. In fact, you can't smoke within 25 feet of any doors, windows, or air intakes for a LEED facility. So, you know, not surprisingly, the same thing holds true for well. Living Building Challenge takes it even one step further. You can't smoke within the property limits of the project, let alone within 25 feet of it. Um, harder to harder to police, harder to make sure you got it taken care of. Very difficult to try and document so somebody can see it on the way in. But, you know, you have to educate and, and advocate to make those things uh, available to people. Then we move into sort of the pragmatic things around buildings and how do we validate they're safe. Um, and we look at air and water quality management. You know, we look at access ventilation and making sure that the air that's coming in has uh, filtration. And is that filtration sufficient enough? And, and are they doing anything beyond basic ventilation? Um, you know, the next step is uh, assess and maintain air treatment systems. Does the ventilation system have very stringent um, air filtration? Are we doing MERV 8? Are we doing MERV 11? Are we doing MERV 13, which is required in many green building rating systems around the world? Have we gone to the point of doing MERV 16? Um, I do data centers in, it's, it's believe it or not, the air quality in data centers is higher than most buildings that you enter. The typical air quality of the data centers that I work in and work for is a MERV 16. 
Um, is that enough? Well, we're seeing when we look at Brownian theory of air movement, we're seeing that, that, uh, those type of filtrations and HEPA filtrations basically cause the, the air particles that would carry, uh, a virus to bounce around in an erratic manner as they're moving, uh, based on volume displacements so that they shake that stuff free. And if you're actually using a, a good quality multiple layer filtration, you're going to dispense of that. Are we using, uh, you know, UVC or, or other means of cleansing within the, the air uh, circulation systems so that we're, we're looking at, um, mitigating and getting rid of pathogens in the first place? You know, we, we do that when we design net zero water systems globally. We do very high end filtration using UV, uh, to, you know, to get rid of pathogens that are, that are floating in the water down below, you know, two and a half microns in size. We're looking at a 0.3 micron size for a virus. So, you know, it's one tenth of the size of the particles we're normally filtering for in water. And then we use the UV light on them to, to decimate them or eradicate them, I guess, is a, is a better way to address it. Um, you, you know, do, do we look at what we need to do, uh, related to things like Legionella in, in, uh, in, in buildings? Um, you know, how do we develop a management plan that makes sure that we don't have, uh, water staying in a spot where it can develop uh, you know, viruses and pathogens that, that injure people. How do we go about, uh, monitoring our air and water quality? And is this something that we should actually record? I truly believe we should. Um, in, in when, when, you know, the projects I work on typically set up these systems, we have a, an ability to actually monitor the air. We look at the filtration and the stack pressure. And as the stack pressure gains, we know the filtration is filling up with particles and getting dirtier and causing that stack pressure to gain because of uh, the restriction of airflow through those media. The same kind of stuff goes on with water. We can test it very easily. Um, and then, you know, we manage mold and moisture in that air and water quality management. How do we set up a program that makes sure that we take care of that stuff? Um, then, you know, we talked about uh, stakeholder engagement and communication. You know, one of the key things that we need to do here is to promote health and wellness in a, in a very holistic manner. Um, you know, you have it in your workplace, you have it in your home, you have it in your lifestyle. You know, you make sure that you, people, um, you know, their feet are good and their teeth are good because those are the two things older in life that basically limit your, your movement. If you can't walk and, and, uh, you know, and, and you have dental problems related to stuff, those are, are past to number one, reduce your activity level from, from stuff related to your feet. And number two, increase the, the negative intake, um, of stuff related to potential dental problems. So those are just really obscure issues, if you would, uh, related to the really big picture of promoting health and wellness. Um, and then, you know, share food inspection information. Make that stuff more, more obvious and apparent. And within the well building, uh, rating system, we have a great big dive into nutrition as a big part of what you do. And the food that you intake, you know, we typically have, uh, we see Americans uh, and, and other people in developed countries around the world having a really nasty uh, carb addiction 
um, you know, take in way too many starches in a day and, and reliance on sugar and, and caffeinating, uh, beverages, uh, for, for not good things. Don't get me wrong. I really enjoy coffee. Yet I'm not going to caffeinate a whole bunch of other stuff in life, um, to look for stuff. I don't need energy drinks in a day because my diet is, is, uh, uh, in the, the health regime that I follow is sufficient to support that lifestyle that I, that I choose to follow and, and lead, um, you know, making sure that I can uh, be very functional and, and also being very good with my family and, and in my interaction. So, um, you know, we do that. The last thing that the the uh, rating system, the, the um, health safety, health safety rating system looks to do is innovate well in health safety. We want to see at IWBI, we want to see feedback on what's going on. And then, and then finally, we look to have well-accredited professionals as part of your team to help continue to share the information from well that's very easily accessible and available for you to use and reference at any point in time. So, I'm going to wrap up now, and I didn't even realize how long this program would go on when I wanted to just hit the high points of this. It's a really big program. It's robust. It's going to get us back into the kind of facilities that, that we enjoy being at and and uh, spending time in. But, you know, it's also going to really prepare us in a, in a very big way to re-engage very safely in the world. You know, um, it takes, again, 21 features from across the, the, the core uh, well, um, you know, rating system, and you have to hit 15 in order to get the safety rating. Again, in, in wrapping up the dialogue on this, uh, sanitation procedures, emergency preparedness programs, health service uh, resources, air and water quality management, stakeholder engagement, communication, and then, of course, innovation um, to, to finally get you there. I'm Daniel Heward, uh, lead fellow, well faculty member, and grateful host of Build for Impact. Uh, thank you so much for following through on our, our uh, blog today. Um, and uh, look forward to sharing more information on this when we get into dialogues with other professionals who are uh, more than willing to jump on board and discuss what we're working on. Thank you again. See you soon on Build for Impact.